Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I think one of the problems uh, or challenges today in society is something that's called big uh, data. Uh, big data means that there's so much information uh, going on that it's, it's, it's increasingly difficult to, to get the simple through line um, through all the data that tells the most direct story. Um, not only is it uh, increasingly um, likely that you can connect the dots in an incorrect way, but it's harder and harder to see the actual truth emerge from all of the information. Um, I wish I could tell you the exact number. I can't quote the exact number, but it's in a, a, a frightening new sort of like a denomination called terabytes. Terabytes are these like absolutely enormous, enormous, enormous amounts. And it's the amount of information that's being generated now, almost on a yearly level, exceeds all the amount of information that's ever been put out there. I'm talking about like bytes of information, like writing or web pages or, you know, that, that type of actual um, physical data. That that exceeds all of human histories by far. And it keeps on going and going and going. I was at, oddly, a Drake concert this week. Um, I'm not sure how that happened exactly. It wasn't on purpose, but, but there I was. And, and I was uh, sort of like shocked to see like all of these people, you know, crowded in this club and everyone was standing with their phones raised above their head, all taping the concert as they were watching it. And I thought to myself, this is where the terabytes are coming from. Like, everyone, like, like, no one was watching it. Everyone was, like, or just taping it and watching it. So, so this is sort of um, always been true, though, is, 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 is the truth. It's just, it's just more true now. In other words, life itself is exceedingly mysterious and complicated. And it's, it's very, very hard to understand what the true through line is in terms of our life. And it, or just to... Uh, attain clarity. And this is what is so phenomenal about the Torah. We say Torah emet, that the Torah is a Torah of truth. The Torah allows us to, to have a, a very sort of clear understanding of why we're here, why the world is here, and what we're supposed to be doing. And then we do the best we can, right? But at least there's, there's a narrative. At least there's a narrative. So, so I would like to try to tie some things together today that are sort of like, for, for me anyway, or I think just in general, very, very big ideas, and try to present a simple through line for them. But um, as I always remember this quote from Steve Jobs, simple is hard. Like, to be able to get to simplicity takes a lot of work. So this is like a lot of years of thinking. Hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to say it in a, in a simple, clear way. Um, so basically, here's the question. The question is the, is the following. We have, um, we, we call it, we know something happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge. Right? There was a, there was a, a shift in consciousness, basically. There was a, um, a lack of perception and understanding of the, of the omnipresence, of the ever-presence of God around us. There was, an, there was a, um, this quantum jump in just seeing the physicality and materiality around ourselves and this sense of 
separation or almost like existential loneliness kicks in, which if you, if you think about it is, is, is very odd that that would take place if God is absolutely everywhere and you have a piece of God inside of you, you should feel like you're at a party constantly, right? Like, why would you ever feel alone? And yet this, this sort of concept of separation and loneliness kicks in at this moment when we eat from the tree of knowledge. So there's this very fundamental shift in consciousness. Now, if you look in sort of um, more Hasidic and Kabbalistic works, there's, um, there's a name attributed to this. And they call it the, the Zuama, which is basically spiritual snake poison. That's how we would translate it. Basically, the bite of the snake. All right? And this bite of the snake was something that basically kind of like contaminated our consciousness, right? But again, let's just talk about the ideas of it, like, like whether, whether this is actually the, the, the medical reality of it or not is, is not really the subject here. There's an idea that's being communicated by our, by our rabbis, and let's try to focus in on that. So this, this shift in consciousness from seeing God everywhere to only seeing the material around us to feeling estranged and alone, right, is, is equated with the bite of the snake, the zuhama, right? Now the rabbis tell us in the Gomorrah, in, in Gomorrah Shabbos, that when we got the Torah, that we became cleansed of that, of that contamination, of that infection from the snake. That the Torah basically, the giving of the Torah healed us. And that we reached a level that we had been at before we ate from the tree of knowledge. So in other words, our minds became expanded again, and we weren't um, limited to just this sort of like physical, sort of like remedial understanding of reality, if you will. Okay, so let's, let's figure out now, here's the question, let's figure out now, what happened exactly? Meaning to say, how did the Torah fix us? How did the, like, we, we've got sort of like historical milestones, sort of like we, we saw very, everything clearly, then we saw everything physically, that's equated with this snake bite, then we get the Torah, then our minds expand again. Okay, these are all milestones on sort of like a timeline, but what is the, what is the through line? What is the, what is the understanding that connects all of that and makes these very big ideas very simple, Okay. So, so let me, before going into all the details, let me just try to give the answer first, instead of working through all of the answers and then arriving at an explanation. Let's just try to give the answer right away. You see, basically, there's this myopia, this, this short-sightedness, which is which is basically narcissism. It's, 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 the, it's the inward turning of consciousness on your own self, where you basically are just thinking about yourself and just perceiving all of reality from the point of view of me, 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 I, 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 right? 
And that's what happened with the tree of knowledge. Now, the, when we ate from the tree of knowledge. Now, remember, the, the Rambam says something really amazing. Because we usually refer to it as the Eitz Hadas, which means tree of knowledge. And you would be right in wondering, well, wait a second. Like, we Jews love knowledge. We love knowledge. What are you telling me that the tree of knowledge was our undoing? Like, that, that seems so anti-intellectual and, and parochial. And, and, and um, you know, it's, it's like a bummer. So what am I supposed to do? Um, in order to stay in this high state of belief, I have to deny myself of all information. No, that's not it at all. Because that's only half of the name of the tree. It's the Eitz Sadas Tov Vara, the tree of knowledge of good and bad. Now listen, that's the actual name of it. So again, aren't I supposed to know the difference between good and bad? But listen to what the Rambam says. He says that before we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, there was a perception of truth and falsehood. See, truth and falsehood are absolutes. Good and bad are relativistic, meaning to say what's good for you may not be good for me. What's bad for me may not be bad for you. So all of a sudden, everything becomes relative as opposed to seeing clarity. Or, let's put it in other terms, there became a shift, listen very carefully, a shift took place when, before we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, we saw things as they actually were. That's called objective reality. Objective reality means that you're perceiving things as they actually are. But then a shift comes and we start to see the world in a relativistic way, good and bad, which is subjective reality. Meaning everything happens, we turn the lens inward, it's just about ourselves, and we're all seeing any, everything from our own individual points of view, which may or may not be in sync with the actual truth of what's going on in the world. Okay. So when we eat from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, we actually fall down a quantum leap from objective reality to subjective reality. We turn the lens, the focus, from looking outside at the world the lens gets turned around and it just becomes all about self-focus. Right? Okay. Now, this is why when we get the Torah at Mount Sinai, we get healed from this snake poison. Because what the Torah is, is we say again, Torah emet, the Torah of truth. What did we say that the Rambam said? That before we ate from the tree of knowledge, it was about truth and falsehood. There was, a, there was a clarity. The clarity gets restored back to us. That consciousness, that focus of objective reality gets given back to us so that we can switch the lens just from focusing on ourselves to focusing back on objective reality, on the world as it is, on clarity itself. And that becomes this tremendous liberation. Because the focus on the self, remember, what happens when we eat from the tree of knowledge? Death comes into the world. What does it say when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai? That we rose above death again. You see, because self-focus, 
To go through life just focusing on yourself is death. That is death. Why if we have a soul, and we know that the soul lives beyond the body, which means that all of us are immortal, why do we fear death? Because we're so focused on ourselves. That's a form of death. If we had the lens outwardly focused, and we saw the truth, and we saw that we continue to live, then we're cured of all these things. So again, let's just make it super simple. Okay? Basically, what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and bad was we shifted the focus from outside of ourselves to it being on ourselves. When we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, the focus turned around again to clarity beyond ourselves, right? And off of ourselves. And it says that every single person at Mount Sinai was healed. Because you know something? This is like, this is the ultimate healing. This is the ultimate healing. When you're outwardly focused, this is actually healing. Okay. So now, that's the big idea. That's, that's the through line. That's the through line. And just to make it real for all of us, the more that we can sort of outwardly shift, the better we are. The better we are, the more healed we are, the more clear we are, and the more real we are. So all of these things come together. Right? So this is what it means to receive the Torah. You see, remember, you always want your inside to be in harmony with your outside. And this is, this is the way to do it. But this requires a transcendence of self. You see, now, a transcendence of self doesn't mean a negation of self. That's, that's very important. You know, I was sort of counseling someone yesterday, and, and they have an issue with forgiveness. And I told them, Peace doesn't mean capitulation, <laughs> right? Shalom doesn't mean capitulation because it's very hard for them to make peace because they feel like when they're making peace, they're giving up or they're losing. But I was trying to explain to them, when you have real peace, then you rid yourself of this anger and you're also the winner. You also win when you forgive, right? People think they, if I can deny that other person forgiveness, then I've got them. I've got them in a stranglehold. But meanwhile, they're walking around not thinking about you at all. They don't care about you. And you're like holding this heavy rope that you think you've got them bound by. Right? It's sort of like, I'm sorry, I can't, can, you, can you reach into my pocket for my phone? I'm holding these heavy ropes. Can't do anything. Right? It's, it's, it's foolishness. Transcendence, transcendence does not mean self-negation. It, transcendence is the harmony of the self with the entirety of creation. You maintain yourself, but you're able to reach levels that you're otherwise cut off from because you're too focused on yourself, which creates this sort of like iron barrier to reaching higher levels of yourself. But you don't leave yourself behind. 
you bring your full self into this wonderful place. Okay? But that, that requires a degree of discipline as well. You see, see, part of the Torah life means that you're not just having everything when you want it all the time. And this runs counter to this, this, this very sort of like hedonistic society that we live in, where it's a sign of success to have everything you want all the time, every desire met instantaneously. That is the ultimate success. But that's a form of death because you're so inwardly focused on your own desires constantly. And sometimes, look, everybody knows that sometimes, oh, oh, that was the best. You know, I don't like beer. I don't like beer. But every once in a while, I love a beer. You know when I really love a beer? When I'm so hot and I'm so thirsty. And then I'm like, ah, that's really good, right? Now, the, the fact that I'm so thirsty is what makes that so good. In other words, sometimes we think that to enjoy all of the time is the ultimate enjoyment. But sometimes to deny yourself of pleasure makes the receiving of pleasure that much greater. So you, you're not missing out. You're actually trading off like, and then you can become bored of that pleasure. That's, that's the weird irony of, of the human body. You know, you think that to be in pleasure mode constantly would be great. But we, we have this like weird counter, which is like this, 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 this tolerance that gets raised and boredom kicks in. And then you get into these weird cycles where then you have to sort of like top your last thing and then that's becomes this addictive cycle and it's just like it just just you just crash and burn basically so so in other words transcendence doesn't mean self-negation if in fact you are denying yourself certain things it's only to rev yourself up for a further blast off Okay, so that's the harmony and that's the breaking, the breaking through where you bring your whole self into the next level. All right, now I want to go into more detail and I want to show you how this syncs with the Sphira and with the, with the 50th year with Yovel. Okay, let's go through because there are amazing parallels between the two and we'll get a deeper insight into what I'm talking about. Okay. But first, let me just tell you a story. So, so I was in New York this past week, and I was uh, staying at this hotel. And it was this kind of weird hotel because you sort of go up one elevator, and then that takes you to a certain place, and then you have to walk across a hall, and then you take another elevator. And so all the, all the things were kind of like, all the numbers were kind of like unusual, right? So I'm in this particular elevator and here's what the the um, the panel says you know where you press the button for your floor it said G for the ground floor then 3 right then 35 and 36 and that was it those are the only numbers on the panel G 3 then 35 and 36 right so it was it was uh, after dinner sometime and I'm there with my wife and I say, I, I mentioned, you know, we, we have to remember to count the Omer, right? 
and it was we had just counted we were we, we hadn't counted the new night yet but it was the 35th night and the night that we had to count was the 36th night <laughs> and they were staring at this panel these are the only two numbers 35 and 36 we were holding by 35 and we had to count 36 and it was right there and I remember learning in the name of Rabbi Nachman that everything going on in the world that day of this that day of the Sphira reflects that day of the Sphira right we just have to have our eyes open to it it was just like, whoa. You know? So, so we're counting, we're counting the Omer, which means that that we're going from Pesach, which is Passover, that's the holiday of freedom, and we're going to to Shavuos, to the receiving of the Torah, to Mount Sinai, right? And there's the Torah tells you to count forty-nine days, and on the fiftieth day. You receive, you receive the Torah. Now, very interestingly, this week is um, was Parshas Bahar, and Parshas Bahar, it's so close to Shavuos, and Parshas Bahar it opens up by saying that there are that you have the concept of Shabbos, right, which is seven. Remember, by between um, Pesach and Shavuos, you count seven rounds of seven, right? So you also have this concept of the Sabbath, which is the seventh day, by the land. But every seven years you let the land rest. And you also have a cycle of seven Shemitahs, seven times seven. So just like you have seven times seven between Pesach and Shavuos, but on the level of days, you have seven times seven on the level of years with the land. And what happens on the 50th year? Just like on the 50th day we receive the Torah, on the 50th year, it's something called Yovel in Hebrew, or it's translated as the Jubilee year in English, and, um, and all the slaves go, through, go free. And all of people's lands, ancestral lands, return back to them. It's like this, you know, it's basically utopian economics. Because it's, it's this amazing thing where everyone gets this second chance. All of a sudden, society recreates itself. It's this unbelievable thing. It's, it's amazing that no, no country or administration has tried to recreate this. Because there's this pendulum swing between um, capitalism on, on one extreme. And if you, if you look at capitalism as it existed, sort of like in the Dickensian form, with like sort of like... Um, you know, children with like black coal-stained faces who are being put to work at like six years old in factories and things like that with no benefits and no medical care and no safety regulations, right? That's capitalism at its cruelest, right? Like swim or die, right? That's, that's the purest form of capitalism, right? And then on the other side of the pendulum, you have like communism, which is like this, you know, this delusion basically of, of, of equality being you know enforced on people who all have different talents and, and different individuality you know in, in this attempt to achieve some sort of equality and justice right it's its own utopian vision but but one that 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 you know was a form of enslavement right so then you have this amazing thing this Shemitah economy 
with this jubilee year where you have the ability to own your own fields and make your own businesses and buy other people's property. So you have this capitalistic idea. But then you have this other thing, this amazing form of equality that kicks in where all the people who were totally disenfranchised because they got broke and they, they lost their land, they lost their houses, they had to sell themselves as slaves. All of a sudden, they get this amazing second chance. Right? And then other people who acquired maybe fortunes, right, have to, they get to keep their money, but then they have to start again. So that is, that's total communism. <laughs> right? Because everyone becomes equal again. But they become equal again in the most amazing way where it's within the context of capitalism. So one's individuality is totally recognized and prized. At the same time, one's sort of like humanity and the fact that they're part of God and they also deserve second and third and fourth and fifth chances is also enshrined. It's an amazing rhythm. An amazing, amazing rhythm. Okay. So now... The rabbis ask us to compare these two cycles. The 49 days leading up to the 50th day receiving the Torah and the 49 years leading up to the 50th year where everything returns back to its source. Right? Okay. And you become free. Now, listen to this amazing case. Because this, this was news to me. In, in my ignorance, this was news to me. The Torah in Parshas Mishpatim gives a interesting case, which is a slave has, um, this is apart from the 50th year, a slave has completed his term with his, with his master, and it's time for him to go free. But the slave doesn't want to go free. He really likes his situation there. And he says, so, so what happens is he gets this sort of this weird earring, you know, pounded into the bottom of his earlobe by a doorpost, right? And he takes this oath and he says that I, I want to serve you forever. And he uses this word forever. And it's this whole ceremony and it's this oath that he takes, okay? So the question is, what happens to that person who takes this oath to basically serve his corporal, his physical master forever? What happens in the 50th year? And the answer is that person goes free. Now, to me, that's, that's like a mind blower. That's a mind blower to me. Because Again, there's this objective reality and, and there's this subjective reality. Objective reality means things how they actually are. Subjective reality is how you as an individual perceive them and see them. And often, probably the majority of the time, they're out of sync. So here a person is taking upon themselves to be a slave forever. And yet the objective reality is, dude, it's not forever. <laughs> it, it just isn't. It just isn't. At a certain point, you just go free. 
whether you believe it or not, whether you understand it or not, whether you want it or not, at a certain point, you just go free. And that's just, that's just what it is. And so there becomes a shift from the subject of reality to the object of reality. There becomes a shift from thinking that I have taken an oath upon myself to be a slave forever to this shift where it's sort of like it's the 50th year. You are free. Whether you want to be or not, you are free right now. Okay. Now, let's shift gears. That's the 50th year. Now let's talk about the 50th day. Okay? The 50th day, which is coming up, which is this great holiday called Shavuos, right? So the rabbis, and it's um, in Pirkei Avos, the rabbis say, don't say um, that, the, that the words were engraved in the stone, right? They were engraved, but don't use that word charus. Charus in Hebrew means engraved. Say cherus, meaning to say that no, what happened was cherus means freedom. In other words, that the Torah that we received, which was engraved, was a mark of freedom. Now, that, that, that's, that's very interesting because once you engrave something, you carve something into it, if you think about it, that's the opposite of freedom because that line can't move. <laughs> right? So there's just sort of like an interesting tension and irony that the fact that the rabbis are saying, no, the engraving in the stone is actually freedom. Okay? So let's, let's explore that a little more deeply. So I heard a, a, a rabbi say something very special, Rabbi Carmel. He said that, um, that people are uh, naturally neurotic. So what, is, what does that mean, neurotic? That means that there's this sort of like, for most of us, this ongoing dialogue in our head going, is this right? Am I doing the right thing? Is that right? Maybe this is right. No, 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 maybe that's wrong. Is this right or is that right? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Right? So you're constantly flittering about, shifting, shifting, you don't know. Right? Now, what happens? Remember we talked about when we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, right? That we shifted the lens, the focus, from objective reality, which exists outside of us, to inward focus. You understand? So that's neurosis. That's just, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's right. And then what happens when we get the Torah? God says, this is right. This is wrong. <laughs> clarity. And do you understand what happens with clarity? Freedom. Liberation from self. Liberation from neurosis. You're able to shift from your ongoing inner debate and ongoing inner crisis to be able to say this is the way it is. Right? Liberation from self. Transcendence of self. Now remember, I'm going to use this word very very purposefully. The 50th day correlates with the 50th year. What happens on the 50th year? You become free even if you didn't know you could become free. What happens on the 50th day? Cherus, freedom, 
clarity with the Torah where you leave this state of self-enslavement. Because the idea is, you have to understand independence. Independence is an illusion. It's an illusion. Everyone is in a relationship. Whether you, whether you trick yourself or fool yourself into thinking you're independent. The person alone on a desert island is in a relationship with the lizards that he has to eat or the fish that he has to catch or the bugs that he has to pick off the bark of the tree to get protein. He is in a relationship even if he's all by himself. He is not independent. No one is independent. So we're in this, this love relationship with God which is fantastic, but you have to understand it and you have to cultivate it and then you have to take steps in order to mine it and to, and to, and to make it real. And then you, you are totally liberated. And this then becomes transcendence from self-conscious servitude, from the tyranny of self, from the cannibalizing of self, through constant inner focus. So now, understand it on another level, which is that Pesach, we, we've talked about it over the last several weeks, Pesach is very strongly connected to Shavuos. Remember, as soon as Pesach kicks in, we already are counting to Shavuos, right, in order to keep that connection alive. Remember what the Ramban says, that actually all those in-between days is just Cholomoyt, just the in-between days of one big holiday, right? But now we can actually get an, 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 a new idea here, which is amazing, which I saw from Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, uh, Shalom, which is that Pesach is a holiday of freedom, right? What did we just say we get with the, with the tablets of the Torah? Cherus, right? Cherus, which means freedom, which means that Pesach blossoms and becomes fully revealed on Shavuos. In other words, the holiday of freedom, which begins with us leaving Egypt, which is sort of a physical redemption, blossoms into a consciousness level of freedom when we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai, because we get lifted above and our minds get expanded and the lens turns from ourself outwardly to total clarity and this is us rising above death. This is the ultimate freedom. So it's one long Pesach, basically, that's emerging. And it culminates on Shavuos. It's an amazing thing. Now listen to this. Something unbelievable. Something unbelievable. So I saw a Medrash. Medrash says the following. This was brought by Rabbi Shapiro. And I'm going to add to it, but I think it's inherent to the teaching itself, so I'm not sure I'm adding anything. The mitzvah of Shema, there's a mitzvah to say Shema twice a day. Okay? That's, that's not two separate mitzvahs, that's one mitzvah. So if you want to keep this mitzvah of saying Shema, you say it in the morning and you say it at night. That, that's, that, then that becomes one mitzvah. Okay? Okay, that's important. Now, this is the Medrash speaking. 
the Medrash says, points out the fact that Shema, Shema Yisrael, Shema Elokeinu, Shema Echad, right, which is our kind of like our summation and declaration of like the unity of all things, the oneness of God, is 25 letters. Now, again, this is the Medrash. Since the mitzvah itself is to say it in the morning and to say it at night, 25 plus 25 adds up to 50. <laughs> what have we been saying? What have we been saying this entire time? This, this level of 50. This level of utter trans, transcendence. So this is just me just explaining, but I think, like I say, this is in the teaching itself. What is that transcendence? In other words, we're talking about the transcendence, but we're talking about it up until now as sort of like bringing yourself to the higher level. Not self-negation, but sort of like this harmonizing of yourself with beyond yourself. Remember, just on a very meat and potatoes level, there are five levels to the soul, okay? There's the nefesh, ruach, neshama. These three levels exist within you. And then there's the chaya and yechida. These two levels exist outside of you. So you have to understand that just in terms of just, you know, look, look, looking in a mirror. Like, who am I? What am I? Well, part of you is inside of you. And part of you extends all the way up to the kiseo kavit, to the throne of glory. That, that's the you-you. That's the true you. So in other words, if you want to reach this level of transcendence, what you're doing is you're putting your inner self, right, together and harmonizing it with your transcendent self. You see, in other words, it's already you. It's not like I'm just taking you and I'm taking you to China. No, you're already in China. But you may not know that you're in China. <laughs> in other words, I'm just connecting you with you. Isn't that just taking you and bringing you to a new place? This is basically healing the rift that happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge, that was the separation of mind and heart. Okay? So you're just basically reuniting with self and becoming, that key word, healed. Because everyone gets healed at Mount Sinai. And that's the transcendence that we're talking about. Okay, great. Now we've been talking about it from the person's point of view. But now let's outwardly focus again. What did we just say? That... This all happens on the 50th day. The mitzvah of Shema is the morning recitation and the evening recitation. 25 and 25 adds up to 50. So in other words, that transcendence, look, looking at it with the outwardly pointed lens, right, tells you that freedom comes, transcendence comes when you realize that you're just part of this grand oneness. That's, that is what it is. Because when you realize, wow, the world is so much bigger than me and I'm simultaneously a part of that bigness. Wow. Right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd argue that the uh, life is like a big sine wave of having the clarity of I had this great self and I am and Yechida and not just the internal. Yeah. And we get to Shavuot, we're powered up. And then we go down, and then we come back up. We need Pesach again to get us back up there. So okay. staying in that Torah frame of mind is a challenge. Right, so staying that's that why you, daily Torah study, 
And like I say, um, even if it's literally even if it's literally a minute, and 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 you know um, this this wonderful book, fantastic book, um, Hasidic wisdom, right by Simcha Raz R A Z. Recommend everyone get it. It's so good, and it's um, you know just teachings from the Rebbe's. And you know I, I always think of this thing. Uh, that, that I learned once in an astronomy class that some of these dwarf stars, like a teaspoon of a dwarf star weighs billions of pounds. Like three lines from one of these rebbies, right? You can think about it all day. And it's a big, it's so distilled that the way they distill truth is unbelievable. But, but you have to learn every single day. It's not a joke and you have to make a time for it. So if you're, if you... Hopefully everyone's davening, everyone's, you know, doing that, you know, praying on a regular basis, but whatever it is. So you say, okay, before I learn, I'll, I'll open up this book, I'll, I'll read three lines, that's it. Now, obviously, if you can learn for a, a, an hour or whatever it is, that's, that's, that's much better. But, but, but don't belittle this, because this is, this is huge. Um, the other thing I would say is, and I hope that I'm pronouncing this right, but I, I definitely have the gematria right. Um, in terms of the ups and downs, so, so I, I believe it's the the uh, prophet Yechesko. Um, it's okay. Don't worry. It's okay. So the talks about um, or had a vision of the path of the angels, and 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 what he saw was that the angels sort of like rocket toward the light. And they get so close that they start to burn up so that they turn around and, and they come back. And then they see the light again and they rocket toward the light again. So that's described, and again, I hope I'm pronouncing this uh, correctly, Ratzov Veshov, right? And the, I, I, because that's such a key phrase, I thought, well, let me just take the gematria of that. What's the gematria of that phrase? And it's 611, which is Torah. Right? That's the gematria of Torah. In other words, that is sort of, even the, pa even the you, you talk about the sine curve, even the sine curve of the angels parallels that process for us. But here's the thing that I would add, which is that one shouldn't misunderstand that, especially on a human level. Because you could think, well, so basically I'm just running into the same brick wall my whole life. Like, is that what you're telling me? But that's not what it is. Because each time you rocket toward the light, you actually get higher and higher and higher and higher. Even if you end up coming back down, you're going to go higher and higher and higher and higher. You'll never stop going higher as long as you're learning and as long as you've got Yira and you're doing it L'Shem Shemayim. So in other words... Progress is constantly being made, even if it's in a sine curve type fashion where you return back to the ground. You've still made progress, and you'll make more progress soon, but you just have to stay in. Now for some questions and answers. I've always tried to understand time, like this dimension that what is time really and so the way that you describe like eating from the tree of knowledge versus you know getting the Torah it's, it almost seems like it's every second 
not really that we ate from the tree of knowledge and then we were completely, everything was hidden. That it's like every moment, if we're gonna eat from the tree of knowledge and have that evil, then we're, we're not in the Torah of truth, right? So then you said, um, when we're so thirsty, we enjoy things so much more. So it's like, at, at, at what point is that balance of not being too thirsty, <laughs> but always being thirsty? <laughs> Right. So there are certain moments where God gives you something. And then when the gates are open, then if, it's the, if, if, if you understand that that's a healthy choice to make, right, then, then that's the moment. That's the moment, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, always keep in mind there's that transcendence of self doesn't mean negation of self. That's very important, you know. In other words... To think about your needs and things like that is not, now I'm eating from the tree of knowledge. Right? That, 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 that would be the wrong lesson to learn from what I'm saying. But it becomes contextualized. Like, what do I need to be more and to be more fully realized? Not just for myself, but in the context of being part of the oneness of God. In the, in the context of being someone who's trying to realize myself through the mitzvahs of the Torah. Right? And, and, and so self-examination is, is a very critical part of this. I, I, I don't want to suggest otherwise. But, um, but, the, but, but the, the, the issue is, is that we're trapped in this cycle of, of just total inward focus. Right? And, and that's this concept of the orla over our heart, this covering of, over our heart. That this is this almost imprisoned state of consciousness that we're in right now, until Mashiach comes, until until the resurrection of the dead, then we completely transcend that. But one can, in their own life, transcend it to certain levels, great levels during their lifetime. So what's interesting about the covering over the heart is that it's written two times in the Torah. One, it says, you have to circumcise your heart, and in another place it says, God says, I'll circumcise your heart. Which means it's going to happen either way. But we, we have the ability to do it. And if you, if you think of who the, our great tzaddikim were, they achieved amazing levels of consciousness with Ruach HaKodesh and what we would call ESP, although I think that's almost a, almost a diminishing of, to use a term like that. But they, they could see things and they had levels of understanding. And, and, and so... Individually, we can really evolve to very great places, but as a species, that, that real breakthrough will come when this next era kicks in. I just wanted to say when you were saying how important it is to learn even 30 seconds or yeah. one minute, that wouldn't it be equally important then to spend 30 seconds or one minute giving that over to Torah over to someone else each day? Yeah, if you have someone to give it over to or to write it down. You know, the, um, the Malbum, used to refer to his pen as his chavrusa. Like his pen was his study partner. Because everybody knows who's ever tried to write something, especially write a Torah thought or something a little conceptual, that putting it on the page challenges you to make it clear. And so the pen sort of like um, is a very active participant in the writing. Right? Meaning to say that it's sort of like, oh, it, 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 it triggers new questions in your own mind. So some people have the 
the um, opportunity to share it with another person. Other people don't, but you always have your pen and you always have your fingers at a keyboard. And that can be as good or, or better a study partner sometimes. How do we manifest unity in today's society when there's such an emphasis on individuality? Right. So the, 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 the irony is, the irony is, is that what is more individualistic today than becoming a, a, a Sabbath observer? Right? That's, that's shocking to people. That's like nine face piercings. It's like offensive. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, do you want to see my new series of neck tats? You know what I mean? It's sort of like, you know, I mean, there's nothing more that's an assertion of self today than to say, no, man, I don't know. I can't take your email tomorrow for the next 25 hours. What? You know what I mean? They don't see that as capitulation or sort of like, you know, like they just see that as the most enormous assertion of self and individuality. So that's, that's what's so interesting, that it's sort of like actually cool, if you will, to, to do this now. But it, it helps if you can sort of articulate why it's cool, you know? <laughs> because it then, if you can, it just shatters all sorts of stereotypes, you know? Like you said, the pieces of the puzzle, they have to have quality on their piece. Their piece, the piece is a, is a, needs to be a picture. They can't just say, oh, well, I'm nothing. I'm just part of the, I'm just another piece of, of this thing. The individuality is that you are a piece of God, that you are manifesting Godliness right. yes. as a complete human being. Yes. In, uh, in connection to the I know you uniquely that no one else right. can Nobody else right. can be your, totally. your piece. Totally. Okay. Like this is like so ma major. This came from a lot of studying. I guess that's why maybe it impacted me on like my question is like on like the deepest like my essence questions. Like it's like really my question of life, and it always comes along with me. Yeah. Um, the idea that when once you know that what the right thing is, you have the light of like revealing this is the right. You don't have this question anymore. The right is the wrong. For me, there's something that. There is a certain boredom that sets in once you tell me, okay, this is the right path. This is what you will be doing for the rest of your life. Every decision you make, these are the right answers. So if you come 10 days from now, you'll have a question. We already know the answer for you, or you already know the answer. It's like, okay, I might as well not live anymore. Okay. I, I got there. I mean, okay. whatever. I so, don't need the journey anymore. I already got there. Right. So, okay, so that's just the Eight Sahara. Yeah. You should know. And I, my brother-in-law told me a story yesterday. So he loves to travel, right? So, so he told me that um, he, he uh, well, it's a whole story, but the bottom line is he had a hot kosher meal in the middle of a giant tent in the Sahara Desert a couple of weeks ago. And he said, I've never had that before. Like he travels and, but you have to eat cold food or whatever it is. Here, he found himself in this interesting situation where they bought this new tagine for him, this like clay cooking pot, you know, that they have in Arab countries, so it was brand new. So he didn't have to worry about kashras. And did I say it wrong? Tajin, you said. Tajin, yeah. yeah. So then, then they, were slicing, they were slicing vegetables for him. He said, no, but you have to use my knife and my cutting board. So he traveled with like a little knife and cutting board. 
So he had fresh vegetables. Then because he's such a seasoned traveler, he had sealed in a can. He has a canning thing in his, in his house so that he can travel. So he had canned some, some meat in it. So he said that he had like this hot, fresh stew cooked for him in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Now here's someone who's been keeping Torah his entire life. He had a kosher hot meal in the middle of the Sahara Desert. You can't tell me this is not a new experience. You know, so what, what I'm trying to tell you it's is that... It's an external new experience. It's not an internal of like, wow, I came to a new place in myself that I've never come to before. Okay, so, so, so I was just reading on Shabbos from the PSS Narebi, okay, the Ish Kodesh. He said something very interesting. He says that the soul... This is, this is very interesting, listen. The soul desires constant stimulation. See, if you had asked me before, I would have told you the body desires constant stimulation. He says the soul desires constant stimulation. And that if the soul isn't being stimulated, then it will seek all sorts of other forms of stimulation, right? So he says for that, therefore, in order to keep the soul happy, a person has to daven with like passion, basically, and they have to learn also new things, right? Now, the thing that I kind of like, kind of realized was that I'm always learning new things, and in Torah, and I was wondering like why, why is that exactly, you know? And I think one of the reasons is because I'm learning all these different Hasidic Sfarim. And what these Sfarim are, what these books are, are collections of new thoughts. That's why that they wrote them down. They, that, that's what they put in these books. They're new, unique thoughts. And these are great Sadiqim and great Talmidi uh, Chachamim. They're new thoughts and new insights into the Torah. So you go from one of these books, from like a great master to another great master, and what you're doing is you're literally swimming in newness all of the time. Because you're going from new insight and new revelation, and then when you finish that book, you're off to a different sea. So, so you have to challenge yourself in terms of the learning that you're doing, and maybe who you're learning with, and things like this. And you also have to realize that you can outwardly expose yourself to different experiences, and all of the rest, and that will trigger new internal experiences, and, and all of the rest. So I, I would say that there is, there is no lack of newness in the world, but you have to re-sort of like navigate and, 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 and reassess how you're accessing that newness. Yeah. You would think that the the higher the the higher being would be a harder enslavement, but it's actually freedom. Yes. Right. And and also to understand, like I I wouldn't disagree with the idea of being slaves to Hashem. I wouldn't disagree with that language, but it's it's a little bit misleading. What 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 I would say is that it's sort of like you see, it's the interplay between the infinite and the finite. And the in and the and and at w in the context of the Torah, 
that interplay between infinite and finite becomes something like a hand in a glove as opposed to two fists batting against each other, right? And so, you know, like a piece of the puzzle, you know, like can you imagine like um, a piece of a puzzle is not... Like, why would the piece of the puzzle call itself the whole puzzle? Right? Like, you become more beautiful when you're put into the puzzle and then you can see this beautiful picture. You don't become less beautiful, you become more beautiful. So, so that's, that's this idea, and that's this idea of basically, you know, the Shema becoming 50, that a person joining the infinite. That that is sort of like the the exaltation of self. But the exaltation of self comes simultaneously with the contextualization of self, which is the liberation of self, which then becomes the glory of self because it's the recognition of unity.